CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. Welcome to Friday in Options Action. I'm Melissa Lee. Coming up tonight, it has been the best performing financial stock during the last 15 years, and you've probably never heard of it. Oh, and it's in trouble. <laughs> then big blues. Don't let the recent rally in IBM fool you. The stock could be soon singing a different tune. And it's so important that even though we cover it in Fast Money, we're going to cover it again here, rates and how to trade them with options this time. With me tonight, as always, Carter Worth, Mike Coe, and Tony Zhang. Let's get right to it. So, Carter Worth, what is this mystery financial name on a 15-year streak, and why could that suddenly be coming to an end? Sure. So, uh, just as you cited, this is the single best performing financial stock in the S&P 500 over the past 15 years. Market Access, it's a multi-dealer electronic bond platform, so not a traditional lender, if you will. But it is also in trouble. Um, Let's look at a few charts. But first, a table, just to show the facts. There it is. Those are the top five performing stocks that are in the S&P. And you won't see a traditional lender in there except for, of course, Silicon Valley Bank, which is largely tied to tech. So MSCI, of course, is providing indices. Uh, Aon, insurance brokerage, SPGI also, MSCI. So non-traditional, but market assets leading the way. And now take a look at a handful of charts. The first, just a two-year chart Look at this topping out formation. One way to draw the lines, as you can see, the stock is hovering ominously and is just now breaking uh, that well-defined level that has been so key for the past year. We call that a descending wedge. The second chart, exact same time frame, and call this uh, a head and shoulders top. But I've drawn the lines, you can see the arrow. Now, keep that head and shoulders top in mind and look at the third chart. We're looking at now a very long-term chart and you can see the sequencing. Uh, the head and shoulders annotated here as well. Now that time frame, about 10 years, hold that and look at the next chart. Now this is the log chart, logarithmic instead of arithmetic. And you can see that in that instance, we have broken the well-defined trend line in effect for oh so long. And the final chart, uh, consider it as a channel. It's the same bottom line that we're breaching, but putting in the upper band shows you how clear the ascent has been and how bad this break now is, down 30% over the past 12 months. I think right. it gets worse. So, Mike, how do you trade this very rare event? Yeah. So, you know, this is obviously not one of the financial services names, as Carter was alluding to, that probably a lot of people have heard about. And that's because it's largely a player in the institutional space, being as they are uh, basically the platform for electronic trading in the bond markets, which was largely an institutional uh, business. And it is actually a business that badly needs the services they provide. It really is safe to say, I think, that the credit markets have lagged behind equity markets in terms of you know coming into the modern era of electronic trading and things like that. So all of that, of course, is one of the reasons that the stock has performed as well as it has over the past 15 years, as he was talking about. But over the last 10 years, what we really have been seeing is tremendous margin expansion. And this is a company that was probably trading somewhere in the neighborhood of 20, 21 times earnings in 2011. Fast forward 10 years, where are we now? 
about 61 times earnings. And that would be fine if you had really massive growth. But recently, we've seen some of that growth slow. Year on year, we're looking at uh, revenue growth of about 7% year on year, full year for 2021, probably an EPS decline. Now, in fairness, an investor relations day, the company did say that in environments that have very narrow credit spreads, like we do right now, something we previously saw in 2017, sometimes they do see that little bit of a fall off. But still, the valuation that we're seeing seems a little bit excessive and to me, not a reason to want to be long the stock. And of course, if there's technical weakness, I think what we're really talking about is a breakdown. So you can either try to do credit spread trades or debit spread trades in situations like this one where the implied volatility is significantly higher than uh, the actual realized volatility of the stock. In this case, because we're expecting something to happen rather than trying to bet against something not happening, which would be an increase, I think the trade here is a put spread. Now, bear in mind, because it isn't as often trafficked in the option space as some other names, we don't see weekly uh, options uh, options expirations and a lot more uh, expirations to choose from. I was looking out to November, and I was looking specifically at the 400 370 put spread. That $30 wide put spread would cost about $6.60, just under 1.6% of the current stock price when I was looking at this earlier today. Now, of course, that 370 strike, almost 13% lower. Is that necessarily what I'm expecting the stock to go over the next two months? Not necessarily, but it just needs to drop below that $400 strike price, and you'd probably begin to see some material profits. If it did get down to that 370 level, you're looking at a payoff of better than four to one. Tony, what do you make of this trade? Yeah, so I think this is a great example of the technicals merging quite well here with the fundamentals. If you look at the chart here, the recent rejection at the 200-day moving average uh, about a month ago uh, is really omnibus of what we've seen here, where we've broken down below the 430 support level. And not only have we broken support on a relative, uh, on an absolute basis, but also on a relative basis to not only the market but also its industry. And if you look at the fundamentals here, as Mike was referring to, it is quite expensive, and because we've We've seen revenue growth slow down substantially here. Not only have we seen revenue growth slow down substantially, we've seen EPS growth slow down even more. We've seen about 40% year-over-year EPS growth over the past four quarters, but that's slowed down to single digits now. So whenever you see that type of slowdown and these expensive valuations, I think you're due for a correction here. And if you look at the trade that Mike has set up, he's, he's actually used a put spread that's relatively far out of the money, but I think in this particular instance, it makes a lot of sense. You have a high-priced stock, it's over a $400 stock and here he's only risking 1.6% of the of the stock's value by using this relatively far out of the money uh, put spread that has a lower probability of success but a very strong payoff if it does start to drop into that 370 zone so uh, you know with the technicals and the fundamentals aligning so well I do think that this far out of the money put spread does uh, make sense all right, let's uh, switch gears here. Uh, as Sherlock Holmes would say, it's elementary, dear Watson, but Tony Zhang is the one looking to solve the mystery of Watson computer maker IBM. So Tony, what are you looking at? Yeah, exactly. So I'm seeing some weakness here in IBM and especially some industries within tech. So I think that this is really uh, an opportunity here. Uh, but if we first take a look at the chart of the Dow Jones Consumer uh, Con uh, Computer Services Index, we've seen a fairly strong run here since March, but recently it broke below the 50-day moving average. And I started to see that this is peaked against the market. And I think there's some potential downside from this particular industry. And then when we look at IBM, which is one of the bigger names within this specific sub-industry, 
IBM looked like it was having a bit of a turnaround year. The, the highs that we saw earlier this year, around 152 or so, uh, was the highest the stock has been in almost 10 years or so. But the one thing that we do have to keep in mind is that this stock peaked against the market back in 2011, about 10 years ago. So when IBM broke below the 138 support level, which we saw here a few weeks ago, and you see relative poor performance relative to the industry, the market, um, this really confirms what I see is a weak stock in a weak industry right now. So given that, um, IBM does report earnings here about a month later on October 20th. So the trade structure that I want to use takes advantage of the higher implied volatility that we see because earnings is coming up in less than a month. And I'm going out to the November 5th uh, weekly expiration and I'm selling a call spread. I'm selling the 138 145 call spread collecting about four dollars and 45 cents for that 138 call and I'm paying about a dollar 58 for that 145 call and I'm collecting here net about two dollars and 87 cents which is just a little bit higher than 40 percent of the width and this strategy will be profitable if IBM stays at this 138 dollar resistance level or gets rejected and continues to move lower which is what I'm expecting. Mike your take on this trade? Yeah, I mean, contrast this with this other company we were just talking about. Here you have a relatively low multiple stock that isn't going anywhere, and there's a good reason why it isn't. 2010 is probably saw EPS roughly approximately where we're going to see 2022 EPS. So I think this is a good trade structure for these situations where you have a low multiple stock. That could obviously create some level of support, but you just don't have a good fundamental story. We haven't seen a good fundamental story in IBM for some time. And it just doesn't look all that healthy from a technical point of view. So selling upside call spreads is a good way to, tr good way to try to take advantage of the dynamic. Just quickly, Carter, because I really am dying to hear what zinger you're going to put on IBM's chart. What do, you, what do you think of this chart? Well, you know, it, I'm going to default to pair of twos, meaning it, it's sort of just <laughs> blah. And uh, that's why an option strategy is the thing to do rather than making a real directional bet with a stock. All right. Still to come. It's so important. We are covering it twice tonight between Fast Money and Options Action. The rates trade. In part two, we show you how to wing it, so to speak. And don't forget, optionsaction.cbc.com. You can sign up for a newsletter there. We'll be right back. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. If you were watching Fast Money before this, and of course you were, right? You know that the 10-year hit Carter worth magical level. But Carter, for those catching up, what is the major importance of this inflection point? Right, so I have two TLT charts, but before looking at those, the, the thinking here is that we've had this very important directional move in rates, right? We peaked at 177 in March. We hit 112 in July, a 65 basis point uh, decline in rates that are themselves very low, and we've moved back to the midpoint at 145. At this point, this punch higher in yields, sell-off in bonds, I think is a bit overdone. The idea is to buy some uh, TY1 uh, in Chicago, or in this case, the ETF, the TLT. So take a look at the two charts. The first is just putting in context 
the past year and the move back to the halfway mark, which is exactly what yields did and what uh, the price TLT has done. Now that level, uh, if you look at the second chart, is sort of a level of congestion. And the thinking here is that we either stay right in that range or indeed uh, that rates do back off and that TLT moves back towards the top of the range. And so that's the trade uh, buying TLT or making the bet that TLT is fallow, but not playing for higher yields. Fallow. A typical Carter word. Now, Mike, you were <laughs> saying earlier this is a good teaching moment, and you're going to propose something a little bit more complicated in terms of a trade. It's not a trade we talk about too often on the show. Yeah, we're going to be taking a look at selling an iron condor. And uh, people who are really familiar with options are, are probably comfortable with a strategy like this. But we often talk about the two key pieces of an iron condor, which is a credit call spread and a credit put spread. Uh, so we'd be selling an upside call spread and selling a downside put spread. When would we want to do something like this? This is in a situation where we think the underlying asset is going to have relatively low volatility. I think we can characterize treasuries as an asset that have typically relatively low volatility and where we also happen to have a range-bound view. And of course, that's exactly what Carter was just talking about. And finally, this is a type of a trade where because it is a credit spread or two credit spreads, actually, we're trying to collect options premium. So this is a yield strategy that depends on a couple things not happening. So basically, we're improving our probability of profit, but we're looking for modest yield. And specifically, I was looking out to November. I was looking at the 138, 143, 151, 156 iron condor. So that means we would be selling the 143, 138 put spread and also selling the 151, 156 call spread. So on both, in both cases, that's a $5 wide spread. When I was looking at that earlier today, we would collect very close to about $1.90 or nearly 40% of the distance between the strikes on the two spreads respectively. So that means essentially that our break even on this trade is going to be just above 141-ish on the downside for TLT and just below 153 or so on the upside. If it lands between that, uh, the two short strikes, then of course we're going to collect all of the premium, but our break-evens are going to be, be beyond that. Now, another quick important point. When we sell options premium, generally we like to look at expirations a little nearer dated because options decay tends to accelerate as expiration approaches. But when you're dealing with spreads, as we are here, sometimes having a slightly longer amount of time to expiration, as we're dealing with here, is okay. And the reason is that if you do break through your short strikes, the spreads are not going to go to their maximum value right away, which means you will have an opportunity to close those trades, not taking your maximum loss, even if the thesis itself turns out to be an incorrect one. Tony, would you use a similar strategy or take a different approach? No, I think this is a great strategy for the current environment that we're in. And it really is a great example of merging a bet on volatility and a bet on the directional view using the technicals. Because an iron condor right now is taking advantage 
of the elevated implied volatility that we currently see on TLT. Right now, the implied volatility is, is in its 34th percentile, so relatively high implied volatility, being able to take advantage of that. And I think, as Mike said, the right way to think about this is uh, on a more complex strategy is to break it into its component parts. He's selling the put credit spread because he believes that TLT is not going to move significantly lower. And what's really interesting is that when you sell a put spread like this, which is a $5 wide put spread for a dollar, he's if he just sold that put spread, he would be risking about $4 or so. But by selling that uh, that higher call strike uh, call spread against it, he's collecting another dollar. He's collecting net net here $2, but he doesn't have to post any additional margin to sell that call spread because the width of that call spread is the same of the width as the put spread. Now, the only difference that I think I would take or a different approach that I would take is simply based on my directional view, which agrees with Carter's. TLT is currently trading in a 146, 152 range roughly. So I would just be a little bit more tactical. I would actually move the put strikes a little higher because I think TLT is already trading near the bottom end of its range. I would look at selling a 146, 142 put spread. I'm collecting about $1.50 on a $4 wide put spread. And then because it's a $4 wide put spread, I would sell the 152, 156. And by doing so, I do reduce my probability of profit, but I'm being a little bit more tactical and I do reduce my risk because here I'm collecting about 50% of the width here. Um, but my range here, my break-evens is still 144 to 154, well outside of the range that I think TLT will trade in. But I just want to uh, just I just want to um, you know point out that my adjustment is simply to align it with my personal view of the directional view of TLT, and not necessarily in any disagreement to Mike's trade. Yeah, Mike, what do you um, make of Tony's tweaks? Yeah, so, you know, it is interesting because uh, the strikes I chose were in, in alignment with my own views. And my own views, of course, and they have been wrong for a while, to, admittedly, was that sooner or later we were going to see the Fed essentially take some of that longer-dated asset purchases off the table more aggressively. And although in the very short term that doesn't necessarily mean those rates were going to move significantly higher, uh, I did see that as a possibility before year's end. Um, that hasn't necessarily happened. Maybe this is all the move we're going to get. But essentially the reason I had those slightly lower credit put spread was because I do have uh, a feeling that maybe I see rates a little bit higher than the level that Tony is seeing between now and November expiration. All right. Up next, it's been a big trading week and a big week for questions about trading. We're answering them next. Options Action, time to take your tweets. Our first viewer asks, supposedly there is a serious shortage of Lunchables. Who knew? <laughs> With many stores not expecting to get them until next year, Kraft Heinz, a company that distributes Lunchables, appears to be bottoming on the chart. Can the traders recommend a way to make a bullish bet on the stock, please? Tony, why don't you field this one? Yeah, a lot, to, a lot to unpack in that one tweet. But uh, the one thing I will say is that when a company cannot meet demand and fill the shelves, I don't necessarily see that as a positive as we saw from Nike yesterday as to what happens when they can't fill customer demand. But I will say I don't think Lunchables is a large amount of their revenue, so I'm not sure that that is necessarily a reason to not like the stock. But I do agree with you on the chart. 
Kraft Heinz has pulled back to a major support level around 36. And as far as what option strategy to take, if you look at the implied volatility here of Kraft Heinz, it's relatively low. So I would go out to January, I would look at buying an at-the-money call option and maybe sell some shorter dated calls against it, though November 5th expiration has earnings coming up. There's a lot of implied volatility there. You could potentially collect some premium to offset the cost of those January calls. All right. Um, our next viewer asks, Apple seems to run up heading into earnings. They call it the Apple slingshot. Should I buy 150 calls for November? Carter, what do you think? Well, it's uh, quite close to that level, of course. We know Apple closed at 146.92, and uh, the November 150s went out at four and a quarter, so you need a 5% move to break even. It's the kind of thing where it makes it there, but the option expires worthless. I think I might sell uh, the 155s and put on a credit spread and try to do it that way. Our next viewer asks, did West Texas crude oil hit an intermediate cycle low in August? And if so, how high could this potential breakout hit? This relates to Carter's Continental Resources and Simmerick's plays uh, a while back. Mike? Yeah, so I, I think that uh, little sell-off we saw in August probably was a, a short-term low. Right now, crude looks pretty strong to me. And, of course, that's going to play directly into the two names you just mentioned, which are E&P companies. I personally happen to be long the services side in the form of Halliburton, a stock I've owned for quite a while. That was a result of buying calls in it when it was much cheaper and it converted into the stock and I've continued to hold it. That's the way I like to play it. But it wouldn't surprise me terribly to see WTI hit 80 bucks. All right. Our next viewer asks, if the S&P fails to hold above the 50-day moving average, how do you feel about buying the October 13th VIX 27 call, currently trading at 80 cents, and with the leverage factor of 4.01, which is the optimal leverage point for the expiration date? Tony, this has your name on it. Um, so whenever you're talking about a pullback here in the S&P, I'm not a big fan of buying VIX calls because if I think the S&P is going to pull back 10%, I know where the S&P is going to be and I can buy puts for it, but I don't know exactly where VIX will be if in a 10% pullback. So while the options are relatively cheap and maybe you have that optimal leverage, it's hard to gauge exactly how far VIX will jump on that. So for those reasons, I prefer buying uh, SPY puts rather than VIX calls. All right, still to come, the final call. Stay tuned. Final call time, Tony. IBM, weak stock in a weak industry, selling call spreads. Carter. Market access, a great champion on the ropes for sellers. Mike. Yeah, you can sell market access using November 400-370 put spreads, risk less than 1.6% of the stock price. We'll see you back here next Friday. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.